Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's happened? Like the last couple of weeks, you've been like randomly critiquing your own voice during our rejoins. Just it's embarrassing. I I don't know what happened. This is the press box. He's just doing his own self-critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around, because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. It's, it's the exact same. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He can remember voices. <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. I love that opening. I was a child actor. I love that opening. We know. Huh? We know. Love that opening. Love love being in Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. Gerald, remember that? Is that what it I haven't heard what you were in. Were you Aladdin? I was Aladdin. Look at you. Yes. I was Aladdin. Impressive. Yeah. A lot of lines in that one. Mad scientist. Geppetto and Pinocchio. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Rolled through. Look at you. Yeah. What happened? I don't know what the hell happened to me. Now you're here. No, don't. you're getting up at 5 a.m. to come here. Yeah, you're flying to Kansas dis- City on your birthday. What a disaster. <laughs> Nightmare for you. I know. Well, so it's well. all downhill from here, I think. Well, can you be an old man actor? Is that allowed? You can be no. in like infomercials in the future, right? You can oh. struggle with Tupperware. I could. That's a great His catheter. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. The first bite. Is the Raiders season over at one in four? Came in this morning with a hot take for you. Came in this morning with a hot take. They're winning five of six. They're going to be six of five. Does that mean the season is not over? The season is the season is not over because they could season. be six and five and then lose the rest it's, of their games. That's true. I, I'm not going to do the hot take that far. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say the hot take is they're winning five in the next six. All right, so five of the next six, they've got a relatively easy run after the bye week, starting with Jacksonville. Houston or Houston, excuse me. And then they get the Saints in Jacksonville, the Broncos, the Seahawks and the Colts. Not in that order, but those are the next six games. I do not believe this team is going five and five and one in that six game stretch. They are going to go into most of those games as either a favorite or a very small underdog. None of those games appear to be um, guaranteed losses or anything close to that. Hell, the Kansas City game, you'd consider a guaranteed loss by the point spread, and they still almost won that. But I don't believe we have seen this team play well enough over the course of four quarters to say that they are absolutely going to win against worse teams. That's why it's a hot take. Yeah, I just, I don't believe that's going to happen. I, they might do it, but I think more likely they're walking out of those six games at three and three than they are at five and one. Well, then at three and three, I'll give you another hot take. The season will be over. <laughs> if that's if that's if they're going three and three, then that, the next hot take will be the season's over. So the Raiders so far this year with in their four losses, they've lost all four by one possession. They are despite being one and four, their point differential is only minus five, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, you would think if you're yes. after five games, you'd it's be two and three, or, sure. Yeah, or or if you're minus or five, you'd be two and three or right. three and two, right? Based on that point differential. So they've been in games. They've been very close. And we've said this a lot. We last year it was the exact opposite. Generally speaking, when you play close games, you win about half of them, right? You don't normally win them all or lose them all. Last year's team won all of them, but six and one, six in the last possession. Yeah, and I think it was seven and two in one possession right. games, right? This year's team is 0 and 4 in one possession games. And even the the game they beat Denver 
they, it would ended up by nine points, but it's not like that was that was a close game too. Yes. So everything they've played has been a close game. And the optimistic view is that, okay, well, they're going to start winning some of those close games, right? The optimistic view is, all right, that, well, they should blow out the Texans, but then Saints and Jags and Colts and Broncos and well, Seahawks should be close games, right? And they should start winning some of these. But my view on it is this team hasn't shown they're good enough to actually expect them to beat any of these teams that are, you know, worse than them, thought to be worse than them. And that if they get into these close games, they're not just going to win five straight close games. Most likely they're going to go two and three or three and two in close games. And now all of a sudden you're, you go three and three in these next six. And like you said, if you go three and three in the next six season's pretty much over at that point. I just, I think the team the other night, and I know we're going to talk about it. You and I didn't get to talk about that game. That team the other night can beat a lot of these bad teams. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the five of six. Confident. Confident. I'm confident. I don't think they're beating five or six. I don't know if that team beats five as the next six either. What do you mean? If they play like they did against... People are like, oh, if they play like they did against Kansas City, they're going to win five of the next six. I don't think so. Well, they blew a 17 nothing lead. We're going to see. They've, well, they've blown a they, 20 and a 17 nothing lead this year. 17 point. Now, the 20 was worse because I think at 17, these lights... I think a twenty and seven. I think twenty uh, was worse than the seventeen, just because of who the opponent was. Right, and is on the road in Kansas City, is Kansas City. But I don't think like just no, because, like, at no point in seventeen zero did you think the game was over. Right, but I don't think just because they played well against Kansas City means, oh yeah, they they do that again, they're going to win again. They, the Raiders in that game, they didn't have a turnover, right? They didn't have a turnover in the game. They're going to have a turnover in the next six games. Like they're not just going to go well, six games without a turnover. Yeah, but they could. They could be up twenty nothing and yeah. Houston have a turnover might not mean anything. They converted a fourth and one by throwing a fifty yard well, pass. Well, that was the field. that was on him. That was on him. Yeah, I mean it that, was, that was a terrible call. No, no, no. The fourth and one that they scored they, the touchdown. Oh, I'm sorry. Touchdown. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The fourth like, and I'm talking later in the game. I can't remember who who it was tweeted out like uh, passes that travel twenty yards or more in the air on fourth or third and one have only been completed at like twenty six percent or something crazy like that. Yeah. Like that's a that's a low percentage play that the Raiders hit on. That's seven of the points they scored. Like, that's not going to happen again. They're not going to have a fourth and one 58-yard wow. Devontae Adams touchdown. You like, have no faith in no. guys who shove cameramen. <laughs> well, that was actually <laughs> my and next. That, and that guy's not going to play exactly. in <laughs> He's not going to play, and their tight end, their best tight end is um, Thayer Munson. What do we, Thayer Munford. <laughs> Thayer, um, Thayer Munford. Okay, let me ask you that. <laughs> what are we doing with Darren Waller right now? I think it's going to be a lingering thing now. I think this this hamstring. So they're going to win a bunch yeah. and no wall. <laughs> I mean, they're going to down. They're going to be down too tight. I don't. You know, the Foster Morrow thing is interesting because they keep saying it's a knee, um, and he keeps missing games. But obviously, it's not serious enough to put him on IR. But I don't know. I I think that that's more serious than Darren Waller. There's something about the knee on Foster Morrow that isn't making sense. Yeah, and it led them because uh, Morrow was out and because Waller played all of six snaps and then was out on Monday night. It led to them having uh, one tight end, Jesper Horstead, that was yes. active. Jesper. And they actually, I think they played Thayer Munford yes. as a sixth offensive lineman more yeah. than they played Jesper, Jesper Horstead as a true tight end. Right. So it really limits the skill position guys you put out there. Because the whole the whole point of the tight end position, we've gotten guys that have become, you know, just glorified wide receivers. But the whole point of that position is it's a guy that can run block for you, pass block for you, or run out and catch a pass. 
if Thayer Munford's out there as your technical tight end, you're not throwing the ball to Thayer Munford. Well, Maybe they should, but every play last uh, every play last week, I think he was eligible. <laughs> and they have to announce because it too, they announced it every play that he, someone was eligible on the offensive line. Yeah. So here's the interesting part with Darren Waller: five games, and even if you want to exclude Monday night because he played all of six snaps, four games, he only has 175 yards this season. He has dropped three passes already on the year. And now he's hurt. We have an injury concern. I mean, we had the whole training camp. Is he holding in? Is he not? Is it really a hamstring? Is it not? But apparently had a hamstring injury in training camp. And now he missed all but six snaps with this apparent hamstring injury. Can we realistically sit here and say they're going to get a good season out of Darren Waller the rest of this year? I don't think realistically we can because who knows how long this hamstring is going to last. And even if he's... What if he re-injured it even more serious than what it was when he was holding in? And even if he's healthy, we haven't seen him be productive yet. Right. Like in this offense, we have not seen Darren Waller do much of anything. So I think that's a, like if you're looking at the roster construction, the offensive, uh, how the offense is built, I don't know that we can expect Darren Waller to be what he was supposed to be. And that's one of three good targets to throw to. And then throw in Hunter Renfro. He's missed two games because of a concussion, right? Not to not criticizing Hunter Renfro for missing games, but can we expect Hunter Renfro to be a good wide receiver the rest of the season? I think we can expect him more than Waller because I think if he's past protocols and he's back to normal, he didn't. He wasn't great the other night. Uh, he ran the wrong route and started bumping into people at bad times. Are we sure that was Renfro's? Fault? I think it was Renfro's because I, I thought it was, it was Adam's fault for not breaking off the line I of think, scrimmage. I saw two rewinds of it and I saw two reports of it that was Renfro that Adams was running a post and and Renfro messed up on on the scissor cross and he ran the round route and bumped into him so so far this year uh Hunter Renfro has by game 21 receiving yards 59 receiving yards 25 Mm -hmm. receiving yards that's forgettable guy that's going to get cut because they got somebody on the practice squad they think that can do something type of numbers right that's that's nothing Mac Hollins is better than that. So the way this team was built and what we thought was going to happen, really Devontae Adams has been the only guy that's had big numbers. The running from, back's good. From the, yeah, but from the passing game, those three targets that we were like, ah, Carr's got his weapons. Two of them are duds. Two of them have been basically Dunks. useless. Yeah. I like that word. Like they've been basically useless. So I don't know what the expectation is going forward that they're going to get good production out of those guys, which brings us to the running backs. Josh Jacobs has been phenomenal two games in a row. Had career highs two games in a row. He's had career highs. He was also on the team. They lost one of those games, though. Josh Jacobs, phenomenal. Running backs don't lead to wins in the NFL. If this team is going to say, hey, we're going to line up, we're going to give Josh Jacobs 22 carries a game, and hopefully he runs for 150 yards or whatever. That doesn't lead to wins enough in the NFL. The NFL is a game that's won by quarterbacks. And the teams that decide, hey, we're going to hand the ball off a lot. We're going to try to pound the ball. They don't win that often. The Tennessee Titans are, are maybe the most successful team in the last five years at just, hey, we're going to run the ball. Maybe the 49ers you could throw in there. But those are pretty rare exceptions. And I don't have any confidence that the Raiders at one and four, if this is the offense going forward, Waller's not effective. Renfro's not effective. We're going to hand the ball off 30 times. I don't think that that game plan is winning you. What, what do they need to win? Eight more games this year, at least? Uh, I think 
you'd have to be safe at nine and three. Yeah, I mean eight you'd eight more would get you to nine, nine wins on the year, yeah, and you'd be in and, contention. Yeah, nine and three gets you right yeah. there. Nine. If you get to ten wins, you got a good shot. You're probably. I'll, I'll be completely honest. If you get to ten wins and don't make the playoffs, the coach probably doesn't deserve that much criticism, right? If you get to ten and seven and you just lose on some stupid tiebreaker because everybody's ten and seven, right? Okay, but. Nine and eight's plausible. That's a plausible playoff record. You eight could get in at nine and eight. So can they go eight and four to finish the year? I don't think they can. I don't know. They're going five and six. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they can go eight and four. Uh, I just don't <laughs> think their, their setup is good enough because the other thing you need, if your plan is to run the ball 20 to 30 times and not really have much of a passing game, the other thing you need is your defense to be good. And... I don't know if this defense is good. I know one guy's good. Max Crosby? He's having a hell of a year. What happened to him in the second half? Do you have an answer for that? Because we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Crosby and Jones were phenomenal in the first half. Jones had his best game by far. No question about that. Second half, I don't think either one made a play the entire second half of that game. Like first half, Mahomes couldn't do anything. And it was because Crosby and Jones were in the backfield all the time. Second half, they didn't exist. Like, I don't know what adjustment the Chiefs made, but Crosby and Jones were almost non-factors in the second half of that game, which it's Kansas City. They've got a good offense. Mahomes makes people look bad even when they're good all the time. But is that just a Kansas City thing or are other teams going to be able to take away Crosby and Jones for an entire half? I think it's more of a Kansas City thing because of the quarterback. Probably. But we're gonna, we'll are gonna we see in two weeks what happens if Crosby can't get to Davis Mills. <laughs> That wouldn't be good. I'm going to laugh when they lose to the Texans. And, and, you, and I, have to, you're gonna, I have to come in and say they're winning five yeah, straight. Yeah, you're going to have to walk in here and say, say they're the winning the next five. Up. Hold the tape on five and six. We're going to replay this. <laughs> We're going to replay five of six. And everyone in here is going to say, man, that was a great hot take by you. Is there anywhere in, out in Henderson that they can go, like, dig a hole and bury the tape? <laughs> I mean, that's what this. that's what this... Raiders team, not this Raiders team, but the Raiders are famous for being the only team outside of, I don't know, a high school team that went and buried something. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll get into the Golden Knights as they won their season opener against the Kings. Polardi again in the trap, so I put it out in front. Step by Thompson at point blank range. Shutting down Quentin Byfield. Rebound, they score. Gabriel Polardi kept on pressuring. He scores to put the Kings on top, 1-0, with 9.24 to go in the first period. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. The Golden Knights beat the LA Kings last night. Mark Stone, a game winner in the final 30 seconds to win 4-3 and prevent the Kings from getting a point as well. Um, by the way, Mark Stone apparently after the game said that he was perfectly fine with just letting them run the clock yeah, out. What were they doing there? It looked like they were going to run out and then he does the stretch pass. Like, yeah. what, what's the point of that? <laughs> and Petrangelo picked it that off was and then Stone Go got to a Stevenson shot. and go to Stone and yeah. gets the shot to win it. And <laughs> But it was just like, you know, okay, okay, they're going to run out. Everyone gets a point. Go to overtime. Here we go for the opener. Imagine that an NFL team very strange. Like kneeling the ball with 30 seconds left. And, and then, then on the next one, and then throwing hurrying a pick six. up to, to snap it and throwing yeah, a pick, pick six. <laughs> that was I don't know what they're doing. I mean, I'm fine with them running it out. Go to overtime. You're sure. Home, you know? I, there's 30 seconds left. Go try to score. That's a lot of time. It's it's the first game of the season. You don't need to be playing for a point that badly. 
Come yeah, on. We'll see at the end. All hey, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. No we know point. everything in the end counts. So no every point. all these games early count. You don't want to miss it by a point. So we saw goals from Jack Eichel and Mark Stone last night. Do you believe that Eichel and Stone are going to be considered a top duo in the league? Maybe not the top. Colorado and Edmonton have really good players. But do you think that we'll be talking at the end of the year, hey, those two are one of the best duos? And it doesn't mean they're playing together because obviously they're not aligned together right now. They will be at some point, I'd assume, during the season. But do you think we're talking about, hey, the best duos in the league, the teams with like sort of their top two players. Are we talking about Eichel and Stone being among the most productive? Can I pull a Danny here without the actual bet? I went under on both their props. Nah, I see. Yeah, so I don't. I hope you don't not. believe so. Well, my heart doesn't believe so. I don't know. I want to see more. I mean, Stone had a great uh, goal last night. I thought Stone played well. From you know, switching back and forth between well, you know, the other game I was watching. Um, but let's see Astros. how much. Yeah, that one was over. <laughs> a good call. Um, let's see how much he holds up. Also, so that's that to me is see. a big question. Eichel obviously coming back from the neck surgery and Stone coming back from back surgery. Back surgery. I'm much more concerned that Stone's going to have issues I than I am totally about Eichel. Agree with that. Uh, totally agree. But it, it is, I think, a legitimate concern to be, you know, cautious with. Hey, how good are they going to be? Well, Neck surgery and back surgery. So even if they are good, how long does it sort of last? But last night in that game, you obviously get the goals from both of them. But Eichel had a 71% expected goals and a 71% Corsi. When he was on the ice, Vegas was dominant. He was not shy night. about shooting last no, night. not at all. And, he sh- and that's the other part. He shouldn't be because during the offseason, one of the main storylines, that's not a goaltender, one of the main storylines is... Where's the team getting offense? From, right. Right. You trade right. away Max Pacioretty. You don't really have many true goal scorers right. on this team. Where are the goals coming, coming from? from? They've got good players, but they just don't have guys that you can say, oh, he's definitely scoring. He's definitely 30. scoring 30. Yeah. They got a lot of guys. It's like, ah, he'll probably get to 20, but they don't really have the true. Oh, yeah. He's going to score 30. Might push for 40. Maybe Jack Eichel can be that. Right. There's the he's only done it, I think, once in his career where he's, he's, uh, uh, he's only done it once. But maybe he can do that. Maybe he's going to be in a role and a system and in a have the opportunity to where they need him to do that. So he's going to shoot a lot and he's going to put the puck in 30 plus times. He might be able to do that. Right. And if they can get a matchups to where they're going to get 71% Corsi and expected goals out of him on a regular basis, then he probably will come really close to that. And then Mark stone, I don't think you ever really expect Mark stone to put up 30 because he's so good at so many other things that he's going to be a great player. Even if he only has like 18 goals in a season, but if you can get 25 out of Mark Stone and 30 out of Jack Eichel, plus, uh, you know, great Corsi numbers or great expected goal rates, then we might be talking about them as sort of a top five duo in the league. I still think it's a, I'm not going to say a long shot, but it's a concern. Two of those goals came right at the end of power plays. So it's, to me, it was fascinating how they scored last night because you score four goals and you're going to take a four goal game pretty much every single right. time, right? That there'll be a terrific offense, right? If they can put up four on a regular basis. But if you look at how they scored, one was a, a, a power play goal, right? Petrangelo shoots it into Carlson's stick and he uh, deflects it in. Two other goals, and before the Mark Stone one, the only goals they scored were right after power plays ended, mm-hmm. right? One was the guy was out of the box for the Kings, but he hadn't made it into the defensive right. zone. So it was still technically a power play when Jack Eichel scored, even though it doesn't count as a power play goal. And then the first goal of the game was shortly after a Kings power play ended. The Kings had an odd man rush and then... 
completely forgot they had to play defense. Bad and, change and, and gave all up of a sudden three on transition. One. Yeah. And so the Golden Knights, up until the Mark Stone goal, I would say they didn't have like a true five on five right. goal. They didn't have a true, hey, we've been playing five on five. This is how we want to score when we get to five on five. They were sort of power play or broken play. Right. Type of goals, which again, which again you you're going to take those exactly. all the time, and you're going to score goals like that yeah. all the time. But I don't think scoring four last night eased any concerns. Of no, that's mine. what I'm saying. I don't. I don't. I didn't walk away last night saying, "Oh, everything's fixed with the goal scoring." Right. It's still, I think, uh, a question going forward the rest of the season. And just because they scored four doesn't mean they're going to keep doing that. But that's probably that might be part of the recipe for success. Can they be a team that scores more of the? Uh, weird's not the right word, but sort of like non-normal goals. The, right. hey, we're not in a tr- true five-on-five situation or we're not in a true power play situation. We we caught them at a bad change or something weird happens that helps you score a goal. Can they be better than their opponents at that? Because if they can, that might help make up the deficit that they're probably going to have with goal scoring. thought they had a good game from Logan Thompson. So thought he played well. It, I, I think last night, Logan Thompson's performance is something you're going to take most nights. Yeah. So he gives up three. LA had expected goals of 2.8, so just slightly below average there. Face 30 shots. The Golden Knights did a pretty good job of not uh, giving up a lot uh, to the Kings. He made one pretty glaring mistake that led to a goal, right? He slides out of the right. crease by like right. three feet and leaves the net wide open and, and Kopitar skated around yes. and uh, Kempe put it home. Back door. I think you're going to have to live with sort of the hey, one mistake leads to a goal situation from Logan Thompson. If he if he does if he does that, like obviously you don't want it to look that bad. But if there's a every game one mistake leads to a goal, then you're probably okay. Well, you'll take that like you take the four goals. Yeah. So I think what you saw last night from Logan Thompson is it's good enough for this team to be in the playoff hunt. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to be a true contender, he's got to be better than that. I think that's sort of it. It depends on what your expectations are. If you're expecting the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup or at least, you know, be in the Western Conference final, uh, or something, that won't do. Yes, he has to be better than he was last right. night. If it's just, hey, let's find a way to make the playoffs. That's probably good enough. Right. I think so. Um, you know, maybe they lose a lot of games three to two with that exact performance from Logan Thompson. But that's probably Good enough. So it's just, it, it all comes down to your expectations. It, do you truly think it's a Stanley Cup contender, or do you think this is just, hey, make the playoffs and see what happens from there? Because if it's the second one... Hot last, take, last it's the second one. For Bill Foley? Oh, no. Hot take. <laughs> I didn't know I was speaking for the owner. No, no, you can speak for yourself. I'm just saying, <laughs> the guy the guy that's most important in this question, I think, disagrees with almost everybody else <laughs> when they get asked that question. All right, coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. Kings control to center Adrian Kempe into the zone and a shot sticks in Thompson directs it into the netting far corner he had that stick not flush to the ice but maybe a few inches off the ice as Adrian Kempe is streaking into the zone you're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. How Hello, are ben? you? Hey, not too bad, guys. Just still trying to wipe off the adrenaline from <laughs> last night. So we'll see how that goes the rest of the day, but doing well. Are you uh, as surprised as Mark Stone was that the Kings did not simply run the clock out and go to overtime and instead try to stretch past there with uh, 30 seconds left? 
It was a bold strategy, Cotton. Did not work <laughs> out for them. I think, honestly, what happened is that even the Kings fans themselves in the building, you know, you could hear them get upset by the fact that they were just kind of holding the puck. So I think there was an unfortunate bit of in arena pressure for the Kings <laughs> to do something at the end of the game there. It did not go well. The uh, fans at Crypto.com Arena. Uh, just like the naming rights of that stadium may need to rethink <laughs> some things this morning. Uh, we were talking a lot uh, about the game before you came on. Let's start with this and Jack Geichel and Mark Stone. Uh, question put out by Tyler. Can they be one of the top duos in the NHL even if they're not playing together? No, I think absolutely they can. And I think it honestly works probably in the night's favor if they don't play together because it gives you two dangerous lines instead of keeping them together and giving you just one. And I thought both lines did a lot of good things last night. Even Eichel's line, you saw Phil Kessel defending one-on-one. When that happens, I think you know that things are going pretty well for the Knights. And uh, I actually thought Stone's line created a lot of dangerous chances. I thought Brett Howden, even though he's been an interesting uh, addition to that line, I don't think anyone expected him to be in the top six entering training camp. I think his speed has given that group an interesting element. And then he and Stevenson combined were able to open up so much space for Mark Stone. Obviously, they opened up a bunch of space for him right at the end of that game yesterday. And Stone showed uh, with his back that he could still take advantage, uh, which is important to know given that you know when he came back from his back injury at the end of last season, he was really reluctant to shoot, it seemed like. And he didn't hesitate at all in pulling the trigger yesterday. Uh, with uh, the goal scoring, they scored four goals last night. Did that ease any of your concerns about how many goals this team is going to be able to score this season? You know, not a particularly just yet. Obviously, it's still early. I don't think the Kings were quite buttoned up uh, as much as they probably would like to be. It seemed like they were still searching for their game uh, throughout the course of yesterday. I thought they had some really odd turnovers in their own end. I thought they were playing both uh, very conservative and very sloppy at times, the Kings. So you never want to judge things just based on one game. Uh, but like I said, I do think there are positive takeaways to take out of that. If you're the Knights, they got a power play goal, which is something they had to wait until the 11th game of last season to get. So already that looks like it's moving a little bit in the right direction. I like those top two lines. The third line with William Carlson and Jonathan Marsh. So obviously combined for a goal, we know the chemistry that those two guys have. You know, based on the fact that they've spread the wealth and kind of created this top nine where they've got, you know, three lines that look capable of doing some things. I think that's a positive takeaway. It should potentially lead to enough scoring in the future because you've got three lines capable of doing it, plus a fourth line that looked like yesterday was, you know, able to create some momentum and some offensive zone time. Those are all positive developments, but obviously we just have to see it against other teams and teams that, you know, are more well-practiced, a bit more into the season before we kind of declare the scoring was for sure not an issue. Yeah, Cassidy had been somewhat critical of that fourth line before the se- before the regular season started. It sure seemed in a lot of ways they played really well last night and kind of heeded what he had said. Yeah, I think all you have to do to kind of take that into account is the fact that they played a lot. Paul Cotter played nearly 14 minutes all at five-on-five, five, which is more than a lot of the other Knights' top players. He really liked how they were working 
in the offensive zone. They didn't always create a ton of chances or quality looks, but they got the puck into the Kings end. They set up other lines in good areas because they were able to trap the puck down there. So it does really seem like they responded to what he said after the fifth preseason game when they did not play well at all. They responded really well in the last preseason game on Saturday, and then they came out, I thought, with a very impressive effort uh, last night. Now it's going to be interesting to see you know, how much Cassidy takes that into account when deciding when Will Carrier is going to go back in the lineup. Is Paul Cotter going to earn extra opportunities either in the home opener or later down the line? Uh, because he sure seemed to put in a good shift for himself yesterday. If they get that performance from Logan Thompson the entire year, where do they end up at the end of the regular season? Probably in the playoffs. I don't think Thompson was spectacular, but I thought he was solid, and some of the breakdowns that led to goals were not necessarily on him, but he, for the most part, I thought, you know, flashed his glove hand really well. He controlled his rebounds for the most part. He looked steady. I don't think, like I said, he's going to win a Vesna or anything if he continues his form like that, but it's what the Knights definitely need out of him. He's a guy that I think, you know, can be a solid NHL goaltender. And when you're talking about a guy who four years ago was an undrafted goalie playing Canadian college hockey, uh, the fact that he's gotten to this level is just so, so impressive that he's an NHL opening night starter and looking the part. So, you know, even though I don't think they get too ahead of themselves in terms of where he stacks up, to the rest of the league, I think should they be really thrilled with where he's at right now. What did you think of Phil Kessel? Uh, took two penalties, no points. Um, how did you uh, foresee him? You said he was defending one-on-one, but other than that, what did you think of him? Yeah, obviously I think uh, a night that he probably would ultimately uh, like to forget. I do think his line created a lot of dangerous chances. Eichel had seven shots on goal. Riley Smith had six. Kessel had four. They were in uh, the offensive zone creating looks. Uh, quite a bit. I think they led all the Knights four lines in terms of shot attempts for last night at five on five. So there were some good things there, but obviously the two penalties kind of uh, hold it back a little bit. I don't think he was thrilled with either call, but you know, when you're uh, an offensive player like him, you can't be sucking momentum away from your own team by taking uh, those penalties. So definitely not the debut. I think Phil Kessel was hoping for, uh, or expecting. I'm curious to see how long Cassidy does drive out there on that first line uh, with Smith and Eichel, whether eventually they slot someone else in there and move Phil Kessel down just to limit his 5-on-5 five five time a little bit. But you know, I'm sure he'll get another opportunity Thursday against Chicago to prove that he deserves to stick with those guys. And I'm curious to see how that looks, because he and Eichel did show a lot of chemistry in the preseason. I'm wondering if and when that's going to translate over now to the regular season with things underway uh, coming into the season and we're only one game in, so you can overreact to this, but Vegas playoff team sort of on the bubble of, if they're not, they're going to be playoff team this year, LA, a team in that same spot after one game. Do you walk away saying Vegas is just better than LA? Cause not only did they win the game, they pretty much dominated the shots and the chances last night. I don't know if you could completely say that right away, but I do think it was fair to kind of think that they could be better than LA coming into this year. If they were healthy, and obviously, I think last night goes a long way to giving you a little bit more confidence. Not that obviously the Knights are going to be healthy the entire year, but they are healthier entering this season. I think the fact that Mark Stone played and looked so strong on the ice is a huge positive development for the Knights. It's something they can feel 
good about, like I said, the fact that Logan Thompson at least looks like he's going to be a solid NHL goaltender is a huge positive takeaway for the Knights. They came in, I think, with a lot more questions than the Kings, even though I do think they have a higher ceiling, potentially, than the Kings. And right now, all the answers are trading pretty positively for the Knights. It's a very small sample size, just one game. But if the Knights kind of continue to play like this, I think they should feel confident of where they're at in the Pacific Division, even though ultimately still catching Calgary, if Calgary gels with all the additions they've made this year, and Edmonton, if Connor McDavid uh, follows through on his promise to be more of a goal scorer this year, uh, those teams are going to be tough ones to catch. But, you know, I definitely think if you were expecting the Knights to be better than the Kings uh, this season, which wasn't a crazy opinion to have, obviously last night should be a pretty good boost in confidence for that take. Well, he has been goats from the review journal on the golden Knights season opening win over the Kings. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. No problem. Thanks guys. So Ben goats, uh, covering the golden Knights and the Kings in the season opener game two is at home tomorrow against the Blackhawks. But now we've got tickets to give away. If you want to go see the scorpions on Friday, October 21st at Michelob ultra arena, you can win a pair right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number six at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see the Scorpions. And Alvarez belts it deep to right field. Gives it goodbye. Unbelievable. The Astros a walk-off win. Yoran Alvarez, a walk-off three-run homer. And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series. Try to close it on a Tuesday. Alvarez launches deep right field. And this one is gone. And the Astros walk him off in game one. Jordan Alvarez. Are you kidding me? What an incredible finish to game one of this American League Division Series. Jordan Alvarez. A three-run walk-off home run and a no-doubter. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. You throw any remotes against the wall and enjoy? Yeah, I did throw my phone into the chair I was sitting in, yes. You did? Yes. Okay. 100%. All right. You, All right. If, if uh, I'm sure my neighbors could hear me. If you had just heard, did not know couldn't see the game and you just heard my reaction, you probably would have thought the Astros lost. Just a lot of, of F-bombs, basically, is what happened. Really? Oh, I was, I was very pumped. Very pumped. And the other part Dropping of it. Dropping the uh, bleeps. Alvarez hit the ball so damn hard. It, it was like the biggest exclamation point on a walk-off home run you've ever seen. This wasn't like, oh, it snuck over the wall or he put it 316 into the Crawford boxes. Hit a 440 feet or something like that. It was great. But it was three hours of me being angry. And pissed off. And then just all of it gone. It's phenomenal. And there was like two moments. There was, he just hit the home run. I might cuss on here, Jared, so just be ready over there. He hit the home run, and I was like just celebrating that. And then it took me about 20 seconds to realize, oh, they won the game. They're up one nothing in the series. Because like for two hours, I was like, oh, they lost. They're down 1-0 in the series. For two, I would already resign to the fact that they had lost the first game in the series and was like, ah, it's going to be hard to actually win the series now. So there were two different moments of Do the neighbors know your love of the Astros? So the people that live right next door to us on each on either side never met them, don't have any idea, never see them. See don't even know. Very, very proud of you, you that. You, you don't can like tell people. me 
Right. Nobody lives there. And I'd be like, right. all right. Two houses down, we actually know those neighbors a little bit just from like walking our dogs and they're usually outside and we say hello. I It's never come up. I wear an Astro shirt quite a bit, so maybe they know. I don't know, though. So who knows? But it's great. I love if it. If they could hear your F-bombs two houses down, I, those were loud F-bombs maybe. because two houses down and you're inside or two houses down. They, uh, I know there is a Dodgers fan in my neighborhood because he has a TV and couch set up in his garage with a Dodgers and Lakers um, flags. So I know there's a Dodger fan that I'll have to walk by if they play the Dodgers in the World Series. <laughs> With your Astros. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That'll be fun. Um, But it's amazing. uh, Incredible home run. Some fun stats on it. It is the first time in postseason history that there has been a walk-off home run by a team that was trailing by multiple runs. So every other walk-off in in postseason history has come in either a tie game or a one-run deficit. This was the first time that a team was down two or three runs and had a walk-off home run. It's also only the second time in the postseason that a walk-off home run has been hit when a team was down to their last out, meaning one out away from losing the game. The we other know one the other was. was Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson. And thankfully, Jordan Alvarez, all of his legs are actually healthy and working. <laughs> He's not limping up to the right. plate. He's not. Uh, and ultimately, the Mariners blew a 4 nothing lead and a 7-3 to lead in this game. And it was one of the most uh, confusing bullpen management decisions I think I've ever seen. Scott Service, the manager of Seattle, used his closer in the ninth inning, right? They're up by four, or excuse me, up by two in the ninth inning, brings in his closer. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, He hits a pinch hitter in the nine hole to get the first runner on base, then gets Jose Altuve out. And then gives up a two-strike single to Jeremy Pena to bring up Jordan Alvarez. Alvarez is a left-handed hitter. Paul Seawald, who is on the mound for Seattle, is a righty. Bishop Gorman High School. And Scott Service decided he wanted a lefty to go face Jordan Alvarez. So he goes and gets Robbie Ray, who, number one, is a starter. Starter. Right. This is not a normal. He didn't come out of the bullpen once the entire season. I think they said it's been three years since he's come out of the bullpen in any role for any team. And Robbie Ray has been bad the last what he got rocked in, in a playoff start against Toronto. He hasn't been good the majority of the season. And specifically, the Astros have torched him like every time they faced Robbie Ray, they crushed him this season. But he went to get Robbie Ray because he wanted a lefty versus Jordan Alvarez when Jordan Alvarez had a higher batting average against lefties than he did righties this year. Like Alvarez is not a lefty who can't hit lefties. lefties. He crushes everything. And yet Scott Service decided to go get a guy who hasn't come in in relief in three years and has been bad, just generally bad, the, the end of the season and against the Astros. And Robbie Ray threw him two fastballs just over the heart of the plate. Like Alvarez fouled off the first one, but he just decided I'm going to throw another fastball just right over the heart of the plate. And Alvarez hit it 430 feet. I cannot comprehend what, like of all the managerial decisions about pitchers in the postseason and when do you starters out of the bullpen and all that. Generally, there's a, a, a pretty good, uh, you know, system or reasoning behind it, right? There's a, Hey, like when Blake Snell got pulled by the Rays in the, in the world series, Blake Snell sucked the third time through the order that entire season, Right. 
That was the reasoning. That was the logic behind going and getting Blake Snell in that World Series game. There's generally something to back up the manager's decision when they do something that would be considered a little weird. I have literally no idea what backs up going to get a an excellent reliever in Paul Seawald to bring in a bad starter in Robbie Ray. Who, by the way, like you said, has been rocked by this team against the lefty who can hit lefties. Yeah, I'm I have no idea what like the evidence was, and it makes me almost think Scott Service was just reverted to 1980s. Hey, lefty versus lefty. I got to get my lefty out of the pen. I I don't get it. I don't understand what was behind that move. You worried about Justin Verlander? Uh, so here's some numbers for you. Verlander threw four innings. Uh, in those four innings, he threw 81 pitches, got seven swings and misses. The Astros bullpen pitched the rest of the game, 78 pitches, 17 swings and misses. So fewer pitches and more, more than double the swings and misses. I think Verlander had to have been tipping his pitches. I think that had that has to be the answer because the and here's the thing: the only of those seven swings and misses, he got two on Julio Rodriguez when he threw 98 mile an hour fastballs. Verlander normally throws 95, but occasionally when he's in a he big can moment, up. he so two of them were when he suddenly had four or five miles an hour on his fastball, and then the other uh, five were against the seven and eight hitters, like two guys that are not any good guys that are hitting like 180 or something like that. So basically all of their good hitters outside of two 98 mile an hour fastballs did not swing and miss once he had to have been tipping his pitches. Like there's no reason Verlander just doesn't get swings and misses because Seattle's not a good offense. Like they're, they're fine, but this, this is not like an elite offense. And for the bullpen to come in, I mean the, the first reliever, the Astros Jews got five in one inning. Like, he had to have been tipping his pitches. If he figures that out, he's going to go seven. He's going to go seven shutout innings in Game Four of this series. <laughs> if he doesn't figure that out, he's going to get rocked again, and it's a problem. So, not too worried as long as he because he did give a quote after the game that he says he figured out what he needed to fix. Didn't say right. what it was, but he said he figured out what he needed to fix. So, I'm you go guessing, back to him in four. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't go four, but yeah, I think they will. Because they used the guy who would have been two one. Yeah, they used the guy who would have been the fourth starter last night. Now, granted, there's he'll have four. There's four days off between now and Game Four because of this stupid schedule. They have a day off today, play Game Two Thursday, and then have a day off Friday. That's stupid. What are we doing here? Dumb scheduling. What a great day. Terrible three hours. Ended well though.